This podcast is sponsored by our friends at G Adventures. For over four years, they have partnered with Dumbo Feather, not only because our community, that's you guys, loves to travel, but also because G Adventures and Dumbo Feather both believe in the importance of doing good for the world and protecting it for the future. The small group adventure tours with G Adventures include visits to social impact and social enterprise projects that make our world a little better for everyone. G Adventures believe travel can not only change your life, but the lives of people everywhere. Visit gadventures.com.au to find out more. And you can also head to dumbofeather.com to read about Bruce, G Adventures founder and CEO. This podcast is sponsored by our friends at EcoStore. We've been working with EcoStore for years to share their ethos of safer products for home, body and baby, made with respect for the environment. Every product is made from naturally derived ingredients, selected because they are safer and more sustainable. You can find EcoStore products in Woolworths, Coles and Chemist Warehouse and learn more about how they are doing their part for a better tomorrow at ecostore.com.au. Hello and welcome. It's Nathan from Dumbo Feather. Good to be in your company. We've got two Matts having a chat on the podcast this month. The first is Matt, our digital editor at Dumbo Feather, a father, a wordsmith, a man of great sensitivity who relishes being in nature. He's chatting with Matt from Grown and Gathered, who you may know as Matt from Matt and Lentil, partners in love and work from country Victoria, who farm, grow and trade flowers, share skills, they write books and make wine. They believe that health and happiness comes from real traditional food, a warm home and a mastery of life's fundamentals. Unfortunately for us, not so unfortunately for her, Lentil was in Italy and not able to join this chat. So it's a symphony of mats talking about growing food, the climate emergency and the importance of coming together around the table. I wanted to start off by sharing a little bit about my own very amateur experience with growing food. Um, So my son, I think he was three or four at the time, and he stubbornly, as lots of children of that age do, he stubbornly refused his vegetables. Um, But then I got a community, a patch in a community garden, and he would sow and water, nurture these plants through to fruit. And all of a sudden he couldn't get enough of tomatoes, broad beans, whatever it might be that was in season. And I just wanted to ask you what you think growing food, how does that change our relationship with it? Well, I mean, it's for me, it's one of the most addictive things that I've ever been involved with. And once you start, there's something that wakes up that you can never turn off. Mm-hmm. You know, it is in, in every way it's addictive like that. And I feel like um, there is after that point where you grow that first pot of herbs, when you engage with that first thing, it never, it never goes away and it, it'll just expand into your life and you start to care about the food you're buying. You start to care mm-hmm. about where that food comes from that you haven't grown. Mm-hmm. You start to think, what, what else can I grow? You know, you start to shut down that, that space between 
I guess the the origin of those things and and you and you and you actually wanting to be a part of this what we're literally born to be a part of that you know it's like the most ancestral thing that we can do so I think it's an incredibly powerful act yeah the the only thing reading about it is entertainment it's not you have to actually do the thing it's in the doing yeah yeah it's interesting that so many people do it's almost aspirational the content you produce the images you put out there but what it what is it that's stopping people from from seizing that themselves they 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 enjoy it they like the notion the romanticism of it but for so many people it it remains that a notion yeah i think um people don't know what they're missing out on mm. we've lost the culture of that and even it's only like a generation away my grandparents every single one of my grandparents were so heavily involved in the production of food when they were kids mm. and really through to their adulthood and only in their older age have they um, moved away from that i mean my my nonna came in from the vineyard and went to sleep. And so it was really like the, the sleeping and the eating and the, the spaces between were just, they, they were the, the in-between of life. It was actually the growing, the working with plants, all of that, that was life. I think it's just this generation. We're, we're, I think we're going to bridge that gap. We're going to bridge it by doing what, like what you've said, you know, by taking your kids out and, and getting them growing and stuff like that. I think the only reason we don't do it is because we weren't shown that. Mm. You know, that's how, it's how stories get passed on. It's how mm. techniques and, and technology and, and everything gets passed on through the generations. You know, that's what we're built for is to tell those stories and to engage with practices that we get shown to engage with. I think it's just culturally we, we <clears> skipped a beat, but yeah, I think we're coming back to it. You mentioned about that wisdom and knowledge being passed down from generation to generation, which is a nice segue to talk about Minimum Wines, which yeah. you're, you're launching at the moment. Um, I read that you come from your fifth generation wine producer. Can you speak a little bit about that wisdom being passed down from generation to generation and the importance of that? Yeah, um, I think um, with Dad, it's literally only been through this business that we've had this beautiful opportunity to actually clash and, and learn and compare. And I think there's an element where, I don't know, if you don't, if you don't go through that experience, you might find there's not much to learn. You might find there's a heap to learn. And I think um, it's, I feel very fortunate that dad's been super open. He's super engaged. And I think he's quite emblematic of his generation of men that they really need a, a concept proven because after years and years and years, it's worked. And you go and tell them, well, there's a better way. And that's a huge stepping point for their brains. You yeah. know? And so you do it bit by bit. And actually, we've come under fire a bit with what these wines are saying maybe they're not minimum intervention enough maybe they're not natural enough i mean lentil and i have been making super lo-fi natural wines hand picked off dry grapes stomped like we've been doing all this with our friends for years but scaling that up and getting it to people is really difficult and actually we're making better wines now with the input of dad uh, which just requires a little bit more openness and a little bit more of all right you've got your wisdom, like you say, you've got so much experience mm. in this industry and in actual making of wine, so many vintages under your belt. So I'm going to listen to what you're saying and I'm going to challenge you and he's going to challenge me. I mean, we were screaming at each other the other day and I was saying, oh, I want to do this. I'm going to do a sans filtration everything this time. And he's like, look, mate, we just got it to go. Yeah. It's just like one step and he's yelling at me. He's like, you're not a winemaker. <laughs> and I'm like, you're not a farmer. <laughs> and you're just fighting at each other. But in the end, like you come to this really beautiful point and we, we'll keep trying to push these things as far as we can. And now he just, 
he's like the biggest advocate for organic growing. He wants to make everything vegan. He wants to do all the things. He wants to reach people mm. on that level, you know, whereas before, you know, I think he just thought we were hippie farmers and he didn't know what we were doing. And through mm. Grown and Gathered, mm. we've kind of proven to him that, you know, people want this knowledge and, and there is a better way and there is this awesome response in the vineyard. Connecting with him is just, yeah, I, I feel very fortunate to have done it. I don't think there would have been any other circumstance. I, I was never going to go into the family winery. Yep. I'm not interested in the scale of what that is. And this smaller project has, I guess, been, it's provided the bridge and seeded that, that kind of the growth of something that's a bit more tangled, which is cool. Yeah. 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 Um I wanted to speak a little bit about your second book. It, it's called Village and um I th- I think I read something about, you know, you're not self-sufficiency isn't something so much that interests you. You want this um this life to involve others for it to be a sharing um experience yeah. and um yeah, I wonder if you could speak a little bit about what community means for you. Um well, it's everything and it's what we realized we wrote the first book and the first book felt like it was all the all the things that people wanted us to write that was all the questions they were asking us mm. about um and what people weren't i guess i mean we touched on it in the first book because we had the whole section on trade and that that really was like a reawakening of a of community in us we mm. really realized that that was a lack especially because we're isolated where we were and we weren't living necessarily in a community of people that understood where we were coming from yep. and we really worked at that for years um and then we moved over to castle Mainway and and we were seeking that there as well and I, I i don't think we sort of lost we overcame the uh the isolation there which was great but australian rural communities are funny things like it almost doesn't matter where you go they're very sleepy they're not particularly there's not a lot of people around once mm. it gets to a certain part of the day it's mm. all kind of like a ghost town we have this culture at the moment of being super insular and um yeah we've come back from i've just come back in from italy where we're living for a whole lot of the time of the year now and it really it's it's standing out to me how much life there is where we are now and how much you've always got people around like you really feel like you've got to go knock on a door here to actually connect with someone Mm. and even then they're going to be like what are you knocking on my door for? Whereas over there, they're, they're sitting at their door or their door's open. Mm. Like community for us is, I think we need to work harder on it in this mm. country. I, th- I just feel like it's, we're incredibly isolated from each other at the moment. And we're not like, we're just not engaging with, um, we're not engaging with each other. We, I feel like it's just a little bit closed. We're judging each other based on what they look like, what job they have or what, they, I mean, the divisiveness in the wine industry and some of the young winemakers about, this natural stuff you know it's not the point it's, it was mm. we're trying to make really beautiful things here and we're meant to be cooperative we've lost that and i i, I feel like previously that there was more of that um and yeah i feel like we just need to work on being a bit, a bit more open and tolerant of each other again and a little mm. bit more cooperative rather than um rather than competitive which is you know it's a theme i hear over and over again from my friends yeah i can certainly relate to that yeah could I share a beautiful quote with you from friend of Dumbo Feather and poet Podrick Otuma um, and just get your thoughts on this. We were made for nights around the table where we know some people and don't know others and we go home full of food and stories. Everything else is an interruption. I'm so I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed to a fault like Lentil hates it a little bit. Like I'm so obsessed with ancestral culture. Mm. I just I just feel like the that sense of 
of storytelling and that sense of um, that kind of community where you literally live and die with each other. That's it's something that has got to make you feel so alive, yeah. Mm. And that's this is like the modern version. And we've come so far, but maybe we've come too far away from that. But just in general, just doing things together, mm-hmm. you know. And that's what and the wine. Coming back to the wines, it's the same thing. Everything like the reason we wanted to do this for people was because we had so much fun doing it with our friends and we're trying to bring that spirit into this. Yep. And it's funny, even the, even like the winemaking guys, they don't have, it's like a workplace for them. Mm. So we come mm. in and break all that up mm. and it's just like a party with them for that little mm. moment. Then they have to go back and do the same thing, you know? And I think the poem just, it brings out that sense of camaraderie and, you know, really actually like connecting with people, not just working with them or, you know we fall into these patterns we just don't we stop connecting with each other you know and it's um i feel very fortunate to live in europe now for a lot of the time to have that Mm. we fall in love with people every day and we've done that here for our whole time together lens and i am before we met and we scare the hell out of people (laughs) because you're just so open and you just want to catch up Mm. and it's not weird over there like you meet someone one time and the next day they're inviting you around to their house and the next day you've got shared memory and shared camaraderie and you know exactly how the other one operates and it's how we operate. We operate on this ancient sense of, of gossip and story and, mm. and communication on mm. an energetic level, even like just being in front of someone and getting a sense of who they are. So, yeah, you've got to get in front of people. Technology is destroying that. Yeah. 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 I was going to ask about um, your relationship a little bit with technology because obviously with Grown and Gathered, um, you put out a lot of a lot of content and to reach people you you have to lean into that technology and and use it um and yeah i I have my own sort of um battles i suppose with with not really wanting to embrace it but needing it at parts of my life and and having a slightly uneasy relationship with it and i was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that you're you're obviously extremely connected to land and people and and that side of things but yeah how do you how do you bring technology in without letting it take up too much well i think that's the key is just like being aware of that it's a more so than many things it's potentially well it seems to be more so than our connection with nature it's one of the most addictive things there seems to be there's something about that it's hitting something in there something deep in the in the psyche that people are really resonating with but i don't think it's on a conscious level and i think that's the key is that if you remain conscious when you're using technology uh you keep it at an arm's arm's length and mm. you can walk away from it at any moment you get the job done and you move on we've obviously used technology to tell our story um we've actually we're disengaging with what grown and gathered was on digital media because mm. we've told the story life is seasonal to us and we've told those seasons multiple we've told several seasons now yeah and almost just scroll all the way back to the start and just hit play and by the time you get to the other end of that seven years again you can start again so we're sort of, we feel like that project in a way started to become the definition of our life and that was never the intention. So mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're allowing it to be a project and ultimately it'll come to its conclusion or some form of static state because um, nothing seems to die these days. Yeah. So, and we don't want it to. And the reason we wrote the books was to, the, the uh, books are so immortal. Like they're just, mm. And it's not to make us immortal, it's to get the ideas out. And I don't, I don't want to have remembered all this and have connected with all of this and then depart this world without telling someone that and yep. try and like get someone to that point earlier in their life and engage with it for their whole life and yep. get their kids on board and all of that. Like that was the joy of doing those things. But 
But now that we've done that, I mean, the, the two books, really, it's like a, it's our entire philosophy in that realm and, and mm. even outside of that realm. Mm. But it was also holding us to a certain point. And what we're trying to do with Minimum is take it away from Lentil and I and get it to a point where mm. it's, it can embrace art, it can embrace literature, it can mm. embrace so much more than wine and so much more than food and growing and things as well because all those other elements of our life we weren't getting mm. to share and they're not to do with us. You know, we're appreciating other people's ideas and other people's creativity and there was no space to share that. And it's actually so much karma because it's not really natural sharing your life and yeah. your relationship and everything online and it was never our intention. And so it became this thing where it was it was actually taking from us. Yep. And so we've decided it's we're transitioning to this project because it's easily at arms arms length and the ideas are from everywhere. We just want to reconnect with who we are and and, and take a step back from it all and still allow this connection with people and some form of platform to share these ideas. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And you just you touched on um, living seasonally. Um, I think for the majority of people, we probably don't do that. We try and rush the seasons or we long for another season or we want food from another season and uh, we try to shape the seasons. And I just wanted to ask you about the different relationship you have with the seasons and perhaps what's what's happening now and which season you, you look forward to and some of, those, some of those things that tell you a new season is on the way. Yeah, well, I'm in a bizarre time warp at the moment i've come from like peak european summer yes and come back into the kind of tail end of winter because spring's just you know just thinking about doing something um i feel really weird because there's something wrong like i walked past a garden yesterday and it was full of broad beans and i was like that's awesome yeah. but my body couldn't couldn't quite relate to it i was like they were, they're meant to be this you know they're meant <laughs> to be like 20 centimeters tall but they're like ready to pop um, uh, yeah, it's, it's a bar- bizarre thing, but certainly living with the seasons uh, in Italy is just life. Um, obviously, they've got their supermarkets too, but it's amazing how little stuff doesn't come from either the continent, mainland, the, the islands, Sardinia, Sicily, like everything comes from that region or mm. it might be from Spain or, mm. or something, but they're not going that far. And, and the stuff that comes up from Africa, sometimes I look at that and go, oh, wow, that's come a long way. Mm. But man, we're shipping things from like, cans down to yeah. down to melbourne and yeah. down to tassie and and back and forth and over to wa and um it's it's not good for the planet mm. number one it's not mm. good for our environment but also it's kind of just weird for your body there's so much the produce won't be as good number one 100 percent. Mm. but mm. it's just i mean we wrote about this a lot about the seasonality especially in the first book and it was always a huge theme and component of the books we wanted people to know when things were in season you know we've made a seasonal chart about this stuff like it's mm. I don't, it's a bit like the growing. Once you really engage with seasonal eating and living, you're not, there's no part of you that feels restricted. Mm. And when you preserve things and, um, and ferment things and dry things, and I, you're never lacking those ingredients anyway. They're just yeah. in, they're in the context of that season, whether it's a bottle of passata for tomatoes mm. or, mm. or some dried fruit or something like that. And that's been a huge part of human culture for the longest time is preserving the things. Mm. And if you're not doing that, you're also missing out on, like buying a bottle of Posada is not like making a bottle of Posada. No, not, not just the flavor, but the connection to mm, the season. Mm. So when we pull out the bottles of Posada that we've made in summer, I'm connecting with summer. Yep. And the, the whole experience is happening. If I buy Posada from a shop, I'm making a dish with tomato sauce. It's just a different experience. Mm. I mean, the whole book, the first book was about experiencing mm. things. You know, mm. it was, And that was we, we hit upon that as like 
probably one drunk evening just realizing it's just experience and it was would have it would have been an evening such as the poem yeah. and talking yeah. with sharing ideas with friends um sharing wine that we've made with friends and then thinking about these things and we just realize in that moment that if we can just get people to experience these things like the growing like the preserving um yeah you're, you're stuck in it it's just there's really no going back from that point everything yep. else just feels like a shadow of and so you you, you strive for it yeah yeah, yeah. Yep. which yep. is a, it's a nice thing i don't want to get complacent in that mm, space no, no. yeah so matt i wanted to talk to you a little bit now about um, something that's dominating the media at the moment dominating a lot of conversations that i have and i'm sure lots of others and that's around um, the climate crisis or climate emergency as it's being referred to a lot now um, the work you do is obviously inextricably linked with the land, with the climate. And how much, how much does that consume your thoughts and what is your relationship with it? Well, I mean, it consumes my thoughts just as a human being. I, as far as the business goes, we're doing everything we can to make sure we're not, that we're helping the problem or, you know, trying to, trying yeah. to fix it, not, not add to it. Um, and that for the business to cover that is about planting trees and planting more trees than, then covers our business. Yeah. I mean, that'll be the actual carbon footprint of the business won't continue to grow. It's really mm. just a seasonal thing. And once we have enough trees in the ground, it's overbalanced and we're already at that overbalanced point and we'll just keep doing it. So it'll just keep getting better and better and better. So it's awesome. Every time someone buys the dozen, we plant another tree and it, we've already planted over the last uh, five years, a whole lot of stuff. So, um, so that's fine. But as I said earlier, I don't want to go into the family business, but it's significant. It makes mm. a significant footprint. For a long time, they're ahead of us. They're, they're already carbon neutral. They're doing what they're doing. They've been doing it for seven years. So I felt always good about being part of that kind of mm. thing. Um, but we're taking it a step further. You know, There's a difference between, um, I guess, balancing what you do mm. and becoming less of, an, of a footprint yourself anyway. Mm. You know, mm. so, so you have to do less you can still do all those mitigating efforts and then you're actually doing even more to to rebalance things i guess and i was reading a good article at, um, we posted on social media about it and i'm sure a lot of people saw it about how what just what a big difference tree planting is going to make and you know what a huge thing that is but also now that we've got this um this relationship with with dad and we're, we're showing him what's possible in the vineyard mm. and the vineyard's thriving which means they're already rolling out these techniques it's like a 900 acre vineyard, the family vineyard, you know, the mm. one we're playing mm. was 125. And if we can encourage, and every year it changes, like this is part of that cooperation, not competitiveness. If I just tell you, you're doing the wrong thing, you know, you're just going to tell me to yeah. F off. It's yeah. just, there's no, you're not interested in it. That's not a conversation. That's mm. just like a dictation coming together with dad. Who's an open guy, but he, not the most open guy and you got to do these things slowly slowly you know mm -hmm. and people mm -hmm. who have been doing things their whole life especially and a lot of our farmers are that you know it takes time we used to do consultations with these guys but it was really only with the guys who reached out to us who were ready for that and i learned a lot from those guys so it's been nice to go to someone else uh and within family and just slowly slowly in baby steps we've mm. shown this is possible so first year it was like well we're just going to do the organic thing up on this isolated block because mm. it's dangerous yes yeah. <laughs> well away from everything else and then three years later well when that was sort of well underway um uh caught up with dad and he's like hey we're gonna it's going great we're gonna roll out all these practices on the on the vineyard we're not going to get a certification which is him saying i'm scared that if the shit hits the fan 
yeah. we've got some tools Hedging his bets. <laughs> that we can use. And I'm like, yeah, right, oh, well, that's good. And then the next year, you come, I come back and he's like, we're going to start the certification process on Tabil. You know, they make, they make all their wines. They want to get all their wines vegan. They mm. want to get all their mm. wines organic. Mm. They want to, it's a huge transition for a big company like yep. that. And it's super easy to do, but it's a mental step. And it's a confidence that and it's a trust. And what we've found is that when we convert places to these um, more natural practices, mm. once the soil kicks off, I mean, things are healthier. You have less pest problems anyway and all of these beautiful things. So uh, if Tabilt goes this way, I mean, it's going to start to change things. We're, we're not here to change things on our own. We're here to inspire people mm. to change things. Mm. We're, I mean, just even we're bottling under cork. The whole Australian wine industry has gone to screw cap and is devastating. Mm. You know, that's mm. a, they make a hell of a lot of wine. They were buying a hell of a lot of cork. And we now live in a cork area in Italy. It's the most beautiful forestry practice. Mm. It's such a beautiful product. Mm. And all around Europe, all it is is cork still because it's in front of your face. We've, so we've been trying to re-inform people. You know, the only, if you don't buy cork, cork forests get cut down because mm. you're not using that product. Mm. And so they cut it down because they've been farming this land for hundreds of years, multi-generational, going back to the same trees. They don't mm. cut trees down to get cork. Yeah, okay. They just cut the outside off them. Yep. They cut the bark off. The cork yep. is the bark. And they go back to the same trees every nine years and the trees live for 200 years. These mm. forests are incredible. Mm. But if a family's relied on that for their whole life and then there's no market for it, they have to cut these forests down and mm. they put in shitty crops that, you know, just destroy the environment instead of actually i mean these are like carbon sucking machines these forests yeah. so if we can encourage that and i guess the reason i'm saying this is because we're a small business but we can we've got great relationships and we've been working so hard in this space for so many years now and all the young winemakers i know they want a clear flint cork closing bottle yep. we want a clear flint cork closing but we want to show people what's in the bottle mm. the australian manufacturers aren't even producing them anymore and so we've mm. got this like strange thing where we now go to a manufacturer here and like, we want to buy this local glass. We need you to produce what we need you to produce. And we're going to try and change that, you know? Yeah. And they're like, well, how big are you? It's, yeah. all, it's all just money. And, yep. and we're like, well, we're not that big, but our friends are big, you know? And we've got yeah. all these other friends and together we're even bigger. Yeah. So how about you take us seriously and tell us how small a run we can do here and we'll mm. come mm. up. You come down, we'll come up and let's actually make, you know, have a relationship. Yeah. So I feel like doesn't matter how small you are or how, how small this endeavor is or whatever it is that you're trying to do we've all mm -hmm. got we're all going to influence people and i think that's the biggest thing we need now when it comes to this crisis is, yeah i think crisis is a great word i mean emergency is a better word i guess yeah i feel yeah, like yeah. we've just got to confidently move forward there's really mm -hmm. no negative to moving mm -hmm. forward to the better place Thanks, Matt and Matt, for this bowl of earthy goodness. You can purchase Minimum Wines and the Grown and Gathered books from Matt and Lentil's website, grownandgathered.com.au. If you're interested in farming and how we adopt more regenerative land practices, then get a copy of Dumbo Feather Issue 58, Healing the Land. While you're at it, do support us and become a subscriber for just 69 bucks. Thank you, Lizzie Martin, for editing this podcast, and thanks, Dennis Liu, for the music. Dumbo Feather is produced on the lands of the Yalukut Willem clan, of the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations. I acknowledge the wisdom and custodianship of elders past, present, and emerging. See you next time on the Dumbo Feather podcast.
This podcast was sponsored by our B Corp friends at Monochrome Coffee Co. They exist to transform communities through the education and empowerment of youth using coffee. Their vision is that young people around the world are empowered to lead bold social and environmental movements that transform the communities around them. Simply put, Monochrome Coffee Co. are socially minded coffee snobs out to empower people to change the world now. Not to mention that their coffee is delicious. Find out more at monochromecoffee.co.